here at Cross of Grace. And I'm just so humbled to be up here today to preach on God's holy word. I just want to say, first and foremost, those who have been praying for me this week, thank you so much. I have needed every single prayer. So this past week, Vince and I got to hang out in Louisville, Kentucky. We were taking a class on ecclesiology. We got to just hang out with other pastors. We got to be with other guys who are pursuing pastoral ministry. And it was so encouraging from my heart. But one of the pastors had this to say when it came to preaching. He said, I believe every man should prepare and preach one sermon in their life for a local church. I said, Eric, why is that? And he said, then they will realize how much they need to be praying for their pastors. So brothers and sisters, I am so grateful for Ricky and Vince and all of the pastors across America who are devoted to faithfully preaching God's word because it is a lot of work. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 12. But before we jump into our text, I want to highlight five things that you are going to see as you are studying these seven churches in your community groups, as well as when you're studying them in your own devotional time. So the first thing that you will see in every letter to the seven churches is that first one, the Christ title. We talked about chapter one last week with Ricky, all of these amazing descriptions about Christ. Every single letter, Jesus is pulling a description from chapter one and introducing himself to the church. Number two is the church's condition. Jesus is going to give a diagnosis for how this church is doing. Right? He's going to commend them. And you're going to see that through the phrase, I know blank about you. Right? He's going to say, you guys are doing good here. But he's also going to rebuke some of these churches. And we're going to see that in the phrase, but this I have against you. And then he's going to lay it out. The next thing Jesus offers is a correction. Right? He's going to lay out what repentance and faithfulness looks like for that specific church. The fourth thing we're going to see is the consequences and the rewards. Right? Jesus says, hey, if you listen to my warning, if you heed my corrections, I have a reward for you that is so sweet and precious. But if you do not, judgment is coming upon you. And the last thing is the Christ connection. As you are studying these seven letters to these seven churches, we just want to see Jesus' grace, his mercy poured out all over these seven letters. It is beautiful. So brothers and sisters, let's jump into today's text. Please join me and stand for the reading of God's holy word. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp, two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel 
so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Father, Lord, meet us where we are at today. Lord, help us to hear you right. Lord, and help us to be your church. Amen. You may be seated. So while we may have read a few things in this text that just seem puzzling and confusing, the bottom line is this. There is infidelity going on in the church in Pergamum. There is adultery being committed by this church to Christ. The main point we're going to look at in today's passage is simply this. Jesus wants us, he wants his church to be faithful to him. We're going to discover this in three points in today's text. The first point is are you faithful to Christ? The second point is choose to be faithful to Christ. And our final point is the faithful Christ. Point number one, are you faithful to Christ? Right off the bat, we see an alarming message here. This is a title introduced to us that is intimidating. John is pulling this for those of you who are note takers from Revelation 1.16. It's not as endearing as some of the other descriptions that Jesus gives to these other churches. To Ephesus, Jesus is the one holding the seven stars. He's walking among the lampstands, right? That's symbolizing his sovereign power and his presence among his churches. In Laodicea, he is introduced as the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. But in Pergamum, he is the one who holds the the sharp two-edged sword. And we see a few verses down. He's not only holding it, but it is coming out of his mouth. This sword would have been easily understood by the Christians at Pergamum during this time. At the time, the Roman proconsul, the Roman governor, had what was called the right of the sword, which basically meant, if you are an enemy of Rome, I can execute you. Gone. Just like that. The sword carried a lot of power and influence by the Romans during this day, and it had a tremendous effect on the first century Christians. We see in a few verses that one of their faithful followers, Antipas, was murdered, martyred, for the name of Christ. It's very possible that this right of sword may have been what did him through, right? only because of his allegiance to Christ and not to Rome. Right? But we also see another thing that Jesus says here. We see that they dwell where Satan's throne is. That is another thing. These guys would have been like, oh, I know exactly what he is talking about. We're going to put a picture up on here. There was a throne in Pergamum dedicated to Zeus, 
right? This was 120 feet wide, 112 feet deep. You could see the people next to it. It was U-shaped, and it literally looked like a seated throne for Satan to dwell in. On all sides, every corner, Satan was at work and opposing Jesus' church. But with this title, the one with the two-edged sword, Jesus is proclaiming, hey, it is not Rome and it is not Satan who holds the power over life and death. The sword symbolizes that Jesus is the true judge of all things. The sword symbolizes that the wicked, that his word is going to declare that the wicked will deserve what they deserve, but Jesus will also preserve those who are faithful to him. So it symbolizes the word of God, which is all-powerful. So with his words, brothers and sisters, let us be carefully listening to what Jesus has to say in all of these letters to his churches. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it, for the time is near. So despite having a brother martyred in the faith, and living where Satan's opposition is all around them, Jesus is commanding this church. He's saying, guys, good job. I know it's not easy. Good job. You are remaining faithful. But after commending this church, Jesus usually, except in two of the churches, he gives a complaint to highlight what is going on that is wrong in this church. Verse 14 or as we're about to see, the biggest problem is not the suffering and the persecution. The biggest problem is their infidelity and their relationship with Christ. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. What is going on here? For those of you who are newer to the faith, you're like, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about here. Let's unpack this. The story of Balaam and Balak goes like this. Near the end of their 40-year wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people came to the plains of Moab, where they can look west across the Jordan and see the promised land of Canaan. Now, the king of Moab was threatened by this foreign nation coming in. He's like, who the heck are these guys? Right, so what he does is he gives this divine paganer, a pagan diviner, a ton of money and says, hey, man, I need you to just wipe these guys out for me. And that pagan diviner was Balaam, right? And at first, the, uh, so he gives him all his money, and he says, hey, man, I just need you to curse the Israelites. And at first, the plan fails miserably. A series of humbling, even humorous events involving a talking donkey results in Balaam actually blessing Israel. So Balak, the king of Moab, is furious. He's like, what's going on, man? Why are these guys prospering? And Balaam says this, look, I cannot curse them. I cannot get them from the outside. But we can get them to compromise from the inside. What does this look like? How does this happen? If you're a note taker, Numbers 25 verses 1 
and 2 says, The men of Israel began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. Now, who are the Nicolaitans, right? There's not much in Scripture about who these guys are, but they were a heretical Christian sect that taught and seduced God's people to participate in idolatry and sexual immorality. They would say, brother, sister, we're free in Christ. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't hold back from society. Enjoy, because everything is all right. We are saved. But in both instances, we see the teachings of Balaam and the Nicolaitans were leading God's people astray, leading them astray from Christ. Right? They compromised their faith with the things of this world, and the result is they've gone off the path that Christ wanted them on. A few years ago, my, one of my good buddies and I were like, hey, man, let's go, to, let's go hike the Hollywood sign. Like, let's go do it. Everyone does it. Take selfies, whatever. So we're like, okay, let's do it. Right? And as you get there, it is very obvious. Okay, here's the path. We stay on this. There's a bunch of other people on this path. If you stay on this, you're at the Hollywood sign. Right? So we get there. We're at the Hollywood sign. Take our pictures. Like, this is great. This is cool. And as we are heading back down, we notice, hey, man, this is a pretty long loop just to get to that point. Why don't we just go down this ravine and hop back up? Because men always have the right idea when it comes to directions, right? So we started walking down this ravine. We're like, man, we're going to save so much time. This is going to be great. Next thing I know, it is no longer solid ground underneath my feet. It is mud, and I am slipping down this ravine that is quite steep. I am getting mud all over me. And better than that, I start to fall into these thorny bushes. So my clothes are getting ripped up. I am bleeding. This was not the typical Hollywood hike to the sign. We finally get to the other side. And I said, all right, man, this is not where I thought we were going to be. Where are we? But thankfully, I was smart enough to say, hey, man, I dropped a pin. Here's where we're at. And we see before us, it wasn't quite a mountain, but not quite a hill, kind of in between. I was like, hey, man, if we can just hop over this, that's where the car is. And we both looked at each other, looked at the map, and we're like, man, I think we can just keep going this way. We're going to get into these neighborhoods, and then we can just cut across. We're like, okay, yeah, flat is better. Let's not hike. So we start going down this flat road. We get to the neighborhoods. We get to the end of the street, and I'm like, Bro, these are cul-de-sacs. And the next few streets down are cul-de-sacs. And we both just looked at each other. And we didn't say a word, but we both knew we were about to hop some millionaires' homes and get to our car. We're, we're bleeding. We're muddy. We look like a mess, but we're doing it. Nothing else that could bring us lower. So we, next thing I know, we are hopping over homes in their backyards, sprinting through their backyards, dogs chasing us. Thankfully, we lived in California, and no one was going to shoot at me. <laughs> and we finally got to the car. But guys, there were consequences to not remaining faithful to the path that was before us. Why do we sometimes get off track in our faithfulness to Christ? 
Well, one, we have a flesh. We are broken individuals, right? But also number two, we live in a world where that is all around us, trying to persuade and pull us from Christ. But number three, guys, there is an enemy who is behind the scenes pulling those strings, trying to get your faithfulness to Christ to pledge your allegiance and faithfulness to Satan. We see in 1 Peter 5, 8, that Satan is a lion prowling around looking to devour us, right? And all Satan's got to do is, all right, if that bait's not going to work, let me reel it in. Let me swap out the bait. Let me try this on this Christian. If that's not going to work, I'll keep going. Free time? Let's distract that Christian with social media and the news. Let's get him out of the game. Sickness won't get you to doubt God. Let me reel it in. How about money and pleasure and comfort? That's not going to work. How about porn? Mm, No one has to know about that. Drugs? Acceptance from others? What is the severity of his bait going to be in your life? But here is the humbling fact, brothers and sisters, you and I, we are all susceptible to other things besides Jesus, right? All of us. There's no one here who's exempt. Not you, not me, not Ricky. No one is exempt from falling away from Christ. Question for you. Are you assuming that just because you were faithful against outside threats, that you're not compromised with inside threats? The church in Pergamum was faithful to Christ against persecution and suffering and even violence, but they compromise from within with sexual immorality. Maybe you stand for Jesus boldly in your office, but at home you are in the midst of a porn addiction, right? Maybe you, yeah, faithfulness in one area doesn't excuse unfaithfulness in another. Hear Jesus' call. Are you faithful to me? Number two, choose to be faithful to Christ. Christ does not merely rebuke his church and leave us in condemnation and in our shame and guilt. No, he graciously provides us a solution. Look at verse 16. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice what Jesus is saying here. He is calling this entire church in Pergamum to repent. Not just those individuals who are dabbling in sexual immorality. The whole church. The sins are individual and personal, but the issue for Jesus is corporate. The people not sinning were to help those who were sinning. Restoration and help is not just an individual task, but a corporate task as well. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the church, whether good or evil. Brothers and sisters, our pastors will give an account to the Lord one day on how well they shepherded his church. Husbands, you will give an account to the Lord one day on how you loved your wife. Church. You will give an account to the Lord one day on how well you loved Jesus' church. He takes this very, 
very seriously. Jesus is saying, if you don't do something for your brothers and sisters, I am coming. Right? We have a role as members of Jesus' church to love one another, to build each other up, to point one another to Christ. But as we see in this church, we also have a duty to protect each other from sin. How do we help one another? You may just be like, man, I'm so inadequate. I can't do that. Look at Galatians 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Correct with gentleness, guys. Correct with humility. Because like we were saying, we are all susceptible and although this is a corporate aspect, there is an individual piece as well. We cannot be passive with our sin. Our sin creates a wedge between us and the Lord. Don't you feel that, guys, when you're just stuck in sin? God's voice just feels so distant, so far. Like, Lord, where are you? But we're placing that between us and the Lord when we choose to sin. Why is Repentance commanded a change in thinking logically leads to a change in conduct. Right? Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 6, Paul is saying, Put on the helmet of salvation. What does a helmet do? It protects what's in between the ears, right? Protect our minds. It's so important because our world is constantly trying to claim your allegiance to itself. Soak your mind with God's words and God's promises. If not, you may be vulnerable to compromise your faith in Christ. Jesus' voice is what we need when we feel that pull to the allegiances and loyalties to other things. We need God's word. We need Jesus' voice. Brothers and sisters, if you have fallen into sexual immorality or idolatry, meaning you've just placed your, your worth and your value into other things besides Jesus, repent. If you are turning a blind eye to another person in this church family who is sinning, Repent. Go serve them by revealing the life-giving words of Christ, all the promises in our Bible. Give that as encouragement to help us see better because sin could just fog us, right? It can make us numb to what is reality. The church in Pergamum may have gotten off the highway in their relationship with Jesus, but Jesus, by his grace, continues to build on-ramp after on-ramp through God's people. If you have experienced that, you understand how precious God's people are. I hope it is clear that everything we know with the devil, our world, and our own flesh, I hope it is clear to you that we need one another to help us love Jesus more, to help us choose Jesus and not our sin. Brothers and sisters, for a long time, I wanted nothing to do with Jesus' church. I wanted Jesus, but I did not want his church. But you cannot love Jesus without loving his church. 
I was up to my neck in secret sin. I looked great on the outside, but in my heart, I have been sinning and rebelling against the Lord. But when I experienced that the church was not a bunch of perfect people that have it all together, game changer for me, man. They're like, man, we're struggling with that too, but we love the Lord and we're pursuing him. That was a game changer in my life to realize that, to experience it. Guys, I went from never going to church to going three to four times a week. I just I loved it. I couldn't get enough of God's people. I couldn't get enough of his people worshiping the Lord. It was so beautiful to me. Guys, I want to encourage you. Experience family through our community groups. Grow in your relationship with the Lord through a D, a D group. Grab another couple guys. Just go study God's word together. If you are struggling, I have a particular burden for those who are just struggling with pornography. Join a group of men who are fighting this battle and pursuing to know the Lord. But they're not only doing it on individual levels, they are doing it with other brothers. Look, guys, I feel you. The sword reference seems heavy-handed and over-the-top condemning. But let us not lose sight of how serious Jesus judges this situation to be. Not just the dabbling of sexual immorality and idolatry, but the passivity, the tolerance of his church allowing their family to do that, to slip into bondage to sin when we are called to freedom in Christ. A lot of times we can be faithful to Jesus. There are other times we are straight up unfaithful to our Lord and Savior. But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. We serve a Savior who is steadfast, reliable, and committed to his faithfulness to us. Amen? Point number three, the faithful Christ. The sermon comes to a close in the same way that it closes out all the other seven sermons. But they promise reward to those who conquer. Verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Let's start with the hidden manna. What's he talking about here? Manna refers to the miraculous provision of food that God provided Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember how Israel just complained the whole time? They even said, hey, we want to go back into slavery with Egypt. And instead of responding to to their complaints with punishment to an ungrateful people, Jesus sent them bread from heaven. The word manna comes from a Hebrew expression that can be translated as, what is this? How can this be? The Jewish expectation for God to provide manna or food in the Messianic age, explains the reaction of the crowds when Jesus feeds the 5,000. It says here in John 6, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, after the miracle of providing food for 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the Messiah who is to come into the world. This gift from Jesus is so beautiful to this church. Instead of their idolatrous festival centered around food, 
sacrifice to idols, Jesus is offering them real sustenance. Not just for their stomachs, but for their hearts. Uh, for those who are considering joining a D group or making a D group, uh, we're going to highly encourage you guys to go through the book Growing in Christ Together. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, and in that book, he, he gives this really neat illustration. He paints a picture of two separate feasts. Right? There's the feast of sin, and then there's the feast that Jesus provides. You know, what you're supposed to do is, hey, just imagine what these two feasts would look like, right? And for many, many years, I sat and enjoyed the table with the feast of sin. I would take a bite at the table. Hmm, this, this looks good, but it's bland. I'd try something else. This tasted really sweet at first, but man, now it's sour and bitter. Let me try something else. And bite after bite, my appetite could not be satisfied, guys. The foods I was eating were self-righteous works, pursuing girl after girl, pornography, vanity. As much as I tried to convince myself that this food is what I needed, it could never Satisfy. It was never enough. I was starving. But one bite at the table that Jesus prepared was more than enough. More than all of the years and years that I had been eating garbage. But only Jesus can make this possible. Jesus built the table. Jesus prepared the food. Jesus set the table, and by his death and resurrection on the cross, he has invited us to this table. He has invited us to the feast. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Brothers and sisters, which table are you eating at? The table of sin or the table of Jesus? Both Jesus and the devil gladly open a chair for you to feast at their table. But here's the catch. Jesus is faithful to his people. Jesus is for his people. Jesus loves his people. And Satan offers emptiness. He offers shame, guilt, hate. And for those of you who do not feel worthy to sit at the table of Jesus, you are in good company. None of us are worthy to sit at the food that Jesus has prepared. The only one who is worthy is the lamb who was slain, who died for our sins. And the Father sees those who've placed their faith in Christ. God the Father doesn't see junk. He sees us as the righteousness of Christ. He sees us as his children. And he gladly pulls out a chair for you and I. At the white stone, verse 17, Jesus says, And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. There are a few ideas that scholars have as to what this white stone may be, but the one that makes the most sense is this white stone is an admission ticket. Stones in the Roman Greco world were commonly used as admission tickets to partake public affairs, to go to sporting events, go to festivals. You just hand them a stone, 
and you were admitted in. And the color white, guys, is significant. It symbolizes purity. It symbolizes eternal life. Can you imagine this? Jesus, the bread of life, offering us a ticket of admission to be cleansed and purified of our guilt, our mess-ups, and our sins forever? With all of the festivals going on, they were hustling and bustling. They were the talk of the town in Pergamum. Jesus says, I have a better ticket for you. I have a better festival for you. The covenantal Lord will fulfill his promises. Hasn't he done it already, guys? Hasn't Jesus done that? Won't he do it again? The name on that white stone proclaims new creation in Christ. It proclaims, my beloved, my child, mine. This message applied to the church in Pergamum was so helpful to these guys, but it applies to us at Cross of Grace today. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, maybe you're just hearing this message and you're like, Lord, are you sure? Me? Lord, after all I've done? Me? Everything I did to put you on that cross and you want to give me a ticket? And Jesus, the resurrected king, proclaims, yes. We are a mess, guys, but we are God's mess. And God loves to make beautiful things out of messes. Where are we going? Why be faithful to Christ? Why choose to be faithful to Christ? Turn with me real quick to Revelation 19, starting in verse 6. Brothers and sisters, this is where we are headed, and this is why Jesus wants us to be faithful to him. Starting in verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, his church, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We sang about that in the first song. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Brothers and sisters, you and I are invited by Jesus to attend this marriage ceremony. Jesus is preparing us for that one day where we will no longer experience brokenness, where we will no longer experience separation from Christ physically. And I, I, I can't even imagine what this moment is going to be like, but I, I think I have a mini glimpse of what this was like on my wedding day. I remember on our wedding day when I watched Amanda walking down the aisle. 
man, it was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. I said, that's my wife. I love her more than anything in this world. I would give my life for her. The amount of love I had for my bride filled my entire being. But when Jesus sees his bride, I cannot fathom, I cannot comprehend what it will be like to experience his perfect love, complete, unbroken fellowship with Jesus forever. Secured by Jesus forever. No more sin, no more tears, no more brokenness, no more fear, just perfect love. Brothers and sisters, when Ricky first asked me to preach in Revelation, I was calm and cool on the outside, but on the inside I was terrified. And it was one day, you know, a couple Fridays ago, we, we actually had to go to the ER for Amanda. She had just been feeling really sick. The doctor's like, hey, just go get some fluids pumping to her. And I'm all by myself alone in this waiting room, super achy, my body is just so in so much pain, my head is just throbbing, but I could not hold back the tears. I was crying so much reading Jesus' reward for those who are faithful to him. So brothers and sisters, let our hearts be encouraged to choose faithfulness to Christ. When we love Jesus, we love each other, and when we love each other, we protect one another help each other love Jesus more. Guys, I'll leave you with this. Despite our unfaithfulness, Christ will always remain faithful to us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, let these comforting words and revelation spark a faithful fire in our hearts to love you with all of our hearts and with all of our devotion. Father, you were faithful to us through the cross and you will be faithful to us until the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of your bride has been fulfilled. Lord, let us be a church that is more faithful, not just to you, Lord, but to one another. Lord, help us to encourage one another to be more like Christ. Lord, give us a new, renewed sensitivity in our hearts to care for your church until our last breath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.